You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, what's up? It's Andrew Ivins with another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Laren Gulo is once again out this week, which means that I'm subbing in for him, but this might be the last time. Before we get started, I just want to thank you guys for listening and supporting the podcast. If you haven't already, please like and review. We appreciate those five stars. They go a long way, and I promise that mailbag is probably coming next week. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to hear from Go247's Shay Dixon. We're also going to talk with 24-7 Sports Midlands analyst Gabe Brooks. Shay is going to explain to us how he thinks the NCAA's temporary dead period might have actually hurt LSU more than people realize. Gabe, on the other hand, is going to give us the update on a number of top Texas recruits as some high schools in the Lone Star State actually played games last weekend. But before we get into all that, let's start with the kickoff. Cypress, Texas, Cyfair four-star running back LJ Johnson is down to four schools. Johnson, who the industry generated 24-7 sports composite pegs as the nation's number three running back this cycle, announced earlier this week that he's down to Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, and Oklahoma. There was a time when many felt like Jimbo Fisher's Aggies were the team to beat in that recruitment, but it's the Longhorns that owned the last three predictions logged on the 24-7 Sports crystal ball for Johnson. That includes one from 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting Steve Wiltfong, who made sure to go over to Horns247 and tell those subscribers that he still likes Texas for Johnson. Joined now by my good friend at Go247, Shay Dixon. Shay, how you uh, how you holding it up, man? I'm doing well, man. It, uh, let's see. We didn't get to hang out at like the opening this year uh, or any events in terms of seven on seven. So it's, that's where we usually cross paths. I'm a bit bummed out, Ivans. I know. I know. It seems like every time I talk to someone that's not like out of region and we always bring up how we didn't have the opening um this year but people don't want to hear about the opening shay i wanted to bring you on um the podcast today because this is the third one in a row i've kind of had a guest host and i'm running out of storylines i'm just kidding um the college football season is pretty much here uh and the team you cover last season lsu was really the darling um uh, for college football, you know they went fifteen and zero, won the college football playoff, had a Heisman Trophy winner, a uh, first round draft pick in Joe Burrow, uh, and I I was kind of spinning thinking about this in my head. You know LSU basically was the cream of the crop last season in football, and I think you know maybe there's a chance that happens this year or they have as good of a season, but it's looking like. It's not likely, given everything that LSU has lost. Um, so I wanted to bring you on and ask you first off, how just how big of a recruiting bump did LSU get um, from that magical season? Well, you know, I think there's a, a few parts to this, and actually, you um, 
you were kind of involved in one of them. I'll save that for the back end. Uh, but look, first I would say this, and this is what I think people don't think about. So in mid-March, the NCAA shut down spring ball everywhere and said no visits anymore in person. And that took away the eval period and that took away the summer um, camp period and, and certainly two big stretches that are really important to kids being evaluated and offered and you building your board and everybody's in that same boat. So uh, whether, you know, you're playing at the highest level of FBS or, or down at the FCS level, uh, everyone's dealing with the same thing. Now, one thing I think that LSU's had to deal with that maybe doesn't sting everybody else as much as this. Remember this, Ivans. Right before the season kicked, LSU revealed a brand new locker room. And it's got all those sleeping pods, and they just updated football ops completely, and their weight room had been updated. Um, and they play, what, six home games? They bring kids in really for half of those. You know, the big marquee home games uh, they brought kids in for. They were able to host them on visits. And then they said, okay, look, we're gearing up for a 21 class in 2022, and we just went 15-0, and 0, and, and we're going to be able to bring all these kids to football ops to see not only the weight room, not only the um, the updated locker room, all this stuff that you know they had renovated and really pays off on a visit, but the Heisman Trophy sitting there, the National Championship Trophy sitting there, the SEC Championship Trophy sitting there, the Bolitnikoff, the Coach of the Year, all of these different things. And when we've seen kids make visits each offseason to Bama, to Clemson, and let's use them as the most recent examples of teams that have won national championships, what are the five stars doing? They're hanging out with their family, taking pictures with the trophies. They get caught up and swept up in a big weekend, and all of a sudden, Bama or Clemson is leading for them, and, and they're in a great spot. LSU has not had a kid on campus to see a trophy or anything, nothing, and it's been since mid-March. It's almost as if, sure, you saw them win, and you got to experience that on TV, but until you go there and you see the fruits of the labor with the trophies and you meet with the coaches face to face and you see that the facilities are up there with the best in the country, that's what changes it for recruits and for parents. And I've talked to coaches at LSU. I've talked to the parents of commitments. I've talked to kids who are still targets and all of them say the same thing, which I'm sure you're hearing now plenty is that I'm tired of zoom calls. We can only do so much over zoom or the phone and they've done virtual tours and all this but it's worn itself out and now they've kicked the can down the road until october is the earliest visits can happen with them just trying to play college football i don't see how they're going to allow kids to be on campuses or at games or, or that sort of thing when you don't even know the status of fans so i think the first part of your question which i'm interested to just hear your thoughts on is that I think that LSU is hit harder by no visits than anybody because they had the most to ride high on. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I didn't even, I didn't really think of it as so. And I guess we should take a, a step back. I mean, LSU signed what the uh, number four class in the country last year in the, in the 2020 yeah. cycle. And a majority of that class was in place before the college football playoff run. I mean, obviously it helped being undefeated, right. playing in those CBS games. So I, I don't really think LSU got that big of a bump in that class. But the 2021 class is when you would want to see the fruits of your labor. I mean, that's when you should be kind of cleaning it up. And like you said, they really haven't had a chance to get kids on campus. I think what, uh, maybe there was, uh, did they even do a junior day in, in January or March? 
they did they did a kind of a small it wasn't an official junior day it was they did a couple of weekends of where bring a handful of kids in from 2021 and 2022 but they were banking everything on well we're going to go heavy on official visits in the spring let's let's make this payoff right now and start knocking down dominoes in the 2021 class and getting ahead for 2022 with some unofficial visitors but that was their big plan uh and it went out the window the second that they shut everything down, which was before official visits were allowed. Let me, let me ask you this, Jay. So right now, it, when we look at the, the 24-7 sports uh, composite team rankings, LSU is number three nationally, uh, second in the SEC. They're behind Ohio State and Alabama. I mean, there's a ton of talent committed to this class. Are you, are you saying you think maybe it would be even better if – uh, there was an open period where some of these kids could come inside the facilities, see those sleeping pods, um, check out the national championship trophy, or do you think they'd be in the same spot they're in right now? I think they'd be in a much better spot. And when I look, they're number three in the country, but and they put together a, a very good class. But I think one thing people are looking around and saying is, well, where are the offensive tackles? And Tristan Lay is one who certainly they're in the mix for. He's a five star and he's a beast. And I think had he visited again in the spring, he could have popped. Thomas Fedoni, the number one tight end in the country, said on record, I probably would have gone to LSU had I been, ever been able to visit, but I just couldn't. And I also love Nebraska. My family loves Nebraska. We're from here. My buddies are on the team. And they were in a heated race with him. But, I mean, he said it. Hey, look, I probably would have wandered up down there had I visited. And you go back to just tackles. At the time, LSU was in the mix for Amarius Mims, Nolan Rucci, um, JC Latham, um, you know, Tristan Lee, Savion Bird, um, Garrett Dellinger, all of these really big name top 100 offensive linemen. And so they got Dellinger to pop, but nobody else yet. And I'm not saying they would have stolen Amarius Mims or that they would have beaten out a couple of teams for Rucci or that Ohio State or Bama couldn't, you know, teams like that wouldn't have ultimately won out for guys like Latham or Brockermeyer. But you get them on campus and that, you know, if you have eight of them that come through in a two month span, you're going to end up getting into the lead for one or two of them and maybe popping them. So I do think had they been able to have official visits, most notably for these big name out of state kids that they the commitment class would have one, two, three more guys in it right now than it already does. I feel that very firmly. Given the people you talk with, and I know for the average listener that isn't you know, studying uh, rankings list, you just threw a ton of names out there. I mean, I'll, I'll just say like, those are all top 100 blue chip guys, all American type guys. So it's not like you're just uh, aver- talking about the average three star or anything like that. But do you think there's a fear in you? I mean, you've really been hinting at this. If, if you're LSU that like your window to capitalize is slipping just because we're entering the 2020 season. We've seen all the opt-outs for LSU. We know Dave Aranda's gone. It, it, this is going to be a completely different team. And I'm not saying LSU is going to you know, go four and six or something crazy like that, but it's going to be real hard to be uh, in the national spotlight like they were last season. Am, am I wrong there? Is there a fear uh, or concern from anyone in Baton Rouge about that window slipping? You know, no, because I think that they've the mood of the program, the this sort of philosophy, and I think most importantly, offensively, has changed. They're not going back to the last miles years. They're not going back even to 2018 of what the offense we saw in Burroughs' first year was. I think that 
they're pretty fully committed to what we saw from Joe Brady and Steve Insmere's offense a year ago. And they've got Insmere back, obviously. And they've got a guy in Miles Brennan who's been around long enough to where I think he's going to shock a lot, a lot of people. Um, now, he didn't get to have spring. He gets an abbreviated summer. He gets kind of an odd fall camp when you're still working under a 20-hour rule by the, the NCAA. I think that all of that certainly means, yes, there's going to be hiccups. but And you're not playing any non-conference games to kind of even warm yourself up in different spots. So you're fast out of the gate in the SEC, but I think that's where everyone is. And I look at LSU schedule, and I think that the only games that they should be losing or that should be dogfights are Auburn, Alabama, and Florida. And they don't play Georgia this year. Um, beyond that, I don't think the A&Ms of the world, the Mississippi State's Ole Misses, even with all of the roster turnover, LSU still got plenty of talent. I mean, they've been, you mentioned a year ago, a top five class. They've been running off top five classes for a decade. It's just about how to utilize that talent. And I think that they've figured out how to do that. And even if they go eight and two or seven and three, I think given the the landscape right now, the mood of college football, people knowing there's opt-outs, there'll be more for all teams as we move into this season. There'll be injuries. People will understand that your record is going to look different than it normally would. I think just as long as their offense isn't moving back to the Stone Age, which I don't believe it will be, and um, and as long as they don't just sort of completely unravel like they did a few years ago. You can remember when Orgeron was trying to build up the program, they went to Mississippi State and lost by 30, and then they lost to Troy. So you felt then that, oh, man, this is absolutely off the rails. And within two years, they had won a national championship. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I don't think that they fear that at all. You know, the, the window might be slipping. I think that, if anything, they're focused on how are we making sure we're still closing the gap on Bama and Clemson and Ohio State and the teams that have been in the playoffs and recruit very well each year. And and I think that they're doing that with another top five class. And and I mentioned a minute ago, and you said it, when what, you know, kind of the key, obviously, to, to maintaining a high level of, you know, a high level program is is recruiting. That's the lifeblood of the program. And when you say, when does the national championship really pay off for you? I would think it's 2022, right? Because yeah. these kids are 2021, they're seniors. Well, as you noted, the class they just signed, all of them were signed in December before they even won a national championship. And then when they won a national championship, they're already at the 10, 12 commits. A lot of the national kids, the quarterbacks, for instance, are already committed to schools. And you just sort of have already put in that work with these kids to where, yeah, I mean, winning the national championship was huge. It means a lot to them, but that window is still small. I mean, it's still less than a year until they sign. You actually broke the what I thought was the first big story of when it would pay off for LSU in the 2022 class when down in Florida, the number one player in the country, Shamar Smith, goes and says, yeah, LSU is, well, you said it, LSU kind of feels like his leader. He talks to him all the time. He loves him. And then we've started to dig it a little deeper and LSU feels like, yeah, we're in a great spot for Shamar Smith and Walter Nolan and um, Malik Silla and, uh, you know, and a handful of national kids on the offensive and defensive line that when they were sophomores in high school, when they first got the, into their recruiting, they look up on the TV and LSU's owning everything. So I think that's the kids that you catch early on in high school, their sophomore year, and all they remember of you through being recruited is that you won a national championship. And I think that will help them carry themselves into kind of beyond that 2019 season and put together a solid class here, but 
really shoot for the fin- you know the fences in 2022. It's funny. I, I had written down right here, ask you, do you think the 2022 class could be Ed Orgeron's best ever uh, at, at LSU? And look, I mean, it's really early, uh, but the Tigers do have the number one ranked class in, in the class of 22. I, I think they have more, more people committed than anyone else. But they got a quarterback in Walker Howard, who who's a kid from Louisiana. A few other guys. You mentioned Shamar Stewart, who's the five-star defensive lineman from my neck of the woods here in Miami at, at Monsignor Pace. You know, I have him crystal ball to LSU, but I also got uh, American Heritage Plantation cornerback Earl Little Jr., who's a Miami legacy. I have my crystal ball in LSU for him as well. So they seem to be in a really good spot in the class of 2022. Um, Circling back to the 2021 class, I guess what would be a kind of dream finish for the Tigers? And you can make this, you know, as real realistic as you want or unrealistic. I mean, everyone always asks me on my on my message board, "Hey, give me give me a dream finish." And I'm like, "Well, do you want me to pump sunshine, or do you do you want me to uh, kind of sift through and, and tell you what's what's realistic?" and um, I, I will point out in the, in the last episode of the college football recruiting podcast, you know, we had uh, Greg Biggins on and explain that he thinks Georgia's probably the team to beat for five star defensive lineman Corey Foreman, but he thinks LSU might be uh, running number two for him. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think that they're working right now to get Foreman down to campus uh, here soon to do something similar to what Georgia did uh, when they were able to get him in on an unofficial, even if. You can't have contact with the staff that just getting him down would be big. Uh, look, I'll play. Uh, I know what the dream finish for LSU would be because I read an article on it recently. Uh, I'll play this game with you. I'll say the name. You just tell me your national gut feel. I may be too close to the, the scene here with LSU, but so here's on it. Uh, Mason Smith, five-star defensive lineman, Louisiana's number one prospect. I think they've got a good shot there. Well, I mean, I, there's a college coach I talk with that says there's no way Mason Smith is leaving the state of Louisiana after they won a national championship. So yes, I would agree. Okay. We touched on Foreman there. It sounds like uh, the one-time Clemson commit. If he does play in the SEC, it seems as if Georgia and LSU would be uh, the teams to watch. Okay. Brian Thomas Jr., who we have as the number two receiver in the country, is the number two player in Louisiana. Him and Sage Ryan might be right about the same spot, but this was a Bama L- was is a Bama LSU battle, and both have three wide receiver commits, all ranked in the top kind of 10, 15 nationally. The winner of this one gets the winner of the best recruiting class in terms of receiver in the country, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't know. You would have a better feel of that than, than me. Yeah, I think I think that I think that he'll wind up staying in state. That's where my crystal ball prediction is at the moment. Um, we touched on Tristan Lee. Uh, five-star offensive tackle. I think that's going to be their O-line haul because I'll throw in the other two here, Diego Pounds and Savion Bird. I know Pounds has kind of trended to Penn State. Bird has always been thought to be SMU, and then Oklahoma started to surge. But you kind of get the sense of what I'm saying is they want some offensive tackles, and I think their best bet might be Lee. Okay. Well, Shay, uh, it was it was a pleasure having you on on the podcast and uh i guess i should have asked i mean everything good with the uh the hurricane that that went through louisiana where in, in your your parts yeah it sort of went um west of baton rouge and, and hit lake charles and i know uh, a lot of people there have uh have been trying to get back on their feet but they've got it's uh, been good to see the teams lsu tulane ul everybody around the state 
um, has driven in to help. And uh, it's kind of probably a lot like what you see with Florida, um, you know, when certain parts get hit and the rest of the state tries to pitch in and do what they can. So, uh, yeah, people are back on their feet. I think that everybody around here is uh, is ready for what? The 26th. So however many days that is from today is is when LSU is going to kick off their football season. And, and boy, it's, it doesn't seem real that we actually are going to have some, uh, some college football again. Yeah, probably anywhere from like 23 to like 20 days, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Shay, tell the listeners where they can find your work and, and plug, the, uh, plug the site. Yeah, go 24-7, G-E-A-U-X-247. Um, like uh, Ivan's was talking about, we've, I think they've got, what, top three class right now, but they've got seven, eight spots left to fill. We'll be doing a bunch of recruiting stuff. And, hey, I think this is going to be a fun year to watch LSU football. I'll leave you on this note. This is what we did in college is uh, we were big recruiting fans. We went to LSU, and every they would win games, you know, and then by the fourth quarter, start of the fourth, mid-fourth quarter, everybody leaves because they're blowing them out. Well, that's when we stayed till because we wanted to see all the kids who just signed that were going in for the first time, and we're going to play some scrap minutes and and we would think that was like the coolest thing ever because if not, we would have to wait another two years to actually see them playing full time. That's what we're getting this year. We're ready to see everybody play. I'm about to see everybody LSU signed last year getting reps probably. So I'm excited for it. Well, thanks, Shay. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, I'm going to talk to 24-7 sports uh, analyst Gabe Brooks. We're going to talk a little Texas high school football. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, guys. Now I'm joined by 24-7 Sports Midlands analyst Gabe Brooks. Gabe, you just broke down the Midlands for me. Uh, Let me see if I got this correct. It's Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas. And I feel like I'm, I'm, am I missing one more state here? Uh, I technically geographically, I think you would include Kansas. I think Alan true and I both kind of, uh, tag team Kansas when we're doing, uh, evaluation stuff, but, but generally, um, my concentration, yes, is Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Big, big region. Uh, one of the reasons why I thought it'd be good to get you on the podcast this week is because in Texas, uh, some schools actually played high school football this past weekend. Uh, more will play this upcoming weekend, which means you watched a lot of games because you sent us in our one of our rankings uh, group chats, like a photo of you watching four games at one time. I, th- I think that was you, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I had five <laughs> screens going at one time. So, so how many games did you watch over the weekend? 
uh, I wound up watching. Uh, so I had those five going at that one time, but there was one of them had like an hour and a half lightning delay and uh, I wound up kind of bailing on it. So I watched those, I watched the other four and then I think I watched two more Saturday. So I think it's one of the cool things about maybe 2020 and it's probably a little bit more specific to Texas because they always say high school football is bigger in Texas, but you can watch some of these games that are streamed. And uh, you wrote for 24-7 Sports kind of some opening weekend notes. And let's just start right at the top with Landon Jackson, the four-star edge rusher out of Pleasant Grove there in Texas. He's committed to LSU. I had Shay Dixon from Go247 also on this podcast. So we're hitting real real LSU heavy uh, this this episode, but what did you think of uh, Mr. Jackson? So Pleasant Grove played a uh, an Arkansas power that's that's in Southwest Arkansas, not far from Texarkana, which is where Pleasant Grove is, called Nashville. And even though they're a power, Pleasant Grove is the defending four A Division two state champion in Texas. Um, so it, it was it was a mismatch, and and because of that. Uh, we didn't get to see Jackson really uh, unleash his full arsenal. Um, it was obvious from the beginning Nashville was going to run away from him, you know, game try to game plan him out. So uh, a lot of his snaps, uh, you know, he, he's on the edge and he's unblocked on the backside and he's being forced to chase and chase and chase. And I, I kind of got the feeling that after a while he it was – it was starting. He was kind of getting antsy, getting frustrated. Um, but you know, he played well. He made some plays. Um, he, you know, the, the length and the frame potential. It, it's really interesting because he's in the six six two forty range, uh, and he's you know, very functionally athletic for a player of that size. Um, it's interesting because you know his natural uh, play style is that of a you know a hybrid standing edge guy, but with his uh, the frame space that he has, you know, is he going to gain 40 or 50 pounds? Or are they going to manage to just put 15 or 20 pounds on him? And is he, is he going to stay in that same kind of hybrid role? Um, you know, cause you, you could see him being good uh, regardless of where he winds up. It's just a matter of how his, uh, how he continues to physically develop uh, once, especially once he's in the LSU strength and conditioning program. Yeah, I mean, I had a chance to see Landon there at the Future 50 uh, kind of combine thing that Under Armour puts on back in January. And I know there was like some video clips that made the rounds of him hitting the bags. And uh, there was there was a lot of coaches giving takes on Twitter. But I think he, when you put on the tape, man, him in pads is, is a pr- pretty lethal edge rusher. What do you have, 17 sacks last season? Uh, Gabe, you compared him to, to Carl Nasib, uh, the, the, the defensive lineman. Is that, are you still feeling good about that evaluation or um, yeah, someone that's, else? It, that's the thing. It's like he, I think physically he's very similar because, um, uh, you know, he, Carl Nasib is kind of a, um, you know, I don't know if finesse is the right word, but he's like 6'7", 275, and he's more of like a, uh, a you know, he plays on athleticism um, and as a pass rusher more so than like your edge setting strong side type that you would expect of a guy with that uh, physical profile. And that's very similar to how Landon plays. Now is Landon going to play at 275 or is he going to play at 255? Um, 
you know, that's, that kind of goes back to the, you know, what I mentioned before, like what he winds up doing and being five years from now, it just depends on uh, what LSU thinks they want to do with him physically and what his, you know, what mother nature decides what, what it's going to do with him physically, to be honest. Well, uh, not a lot of eyes were on the Pleasant Grove Mashville game, but a ton of people did watch Cedar Hill Trinity Christian on Saturday. That is obviously the school where Deion Sanders is the offensive coordinator. Uh, His son is the quarterback, Shadur Sanders. They played a noon game on ESPN. Um, It seemed like I obviously I follow a lot of high school football recruiting reporters and and everything but it seems like social media was talking about this game just maybe because it was that noon slot and I think so many people are craving football um and uh, they were at Knoxville Trinity Catholic which had T Martin son as the quarterback I think the real story of this game is Shadur Sanders probably exceeded a lot of people's expectations um five total touchdowns for him in the win uh, real efficient passer, Gabe. I, I know you were kind of not buzzing about him, but you, you made it known that uh, you thought he did pretty well in, in that national spotlight. Yeah, I thought he looked really good. I thought that for you know, for one thing, that he right off the bat looked bigger and physically stronger. Um, he looks like he has filled out some, and um, along the same line, I, you know, he's kind of gr- grown into his frame some. And I think that that probably helped uh, with his delivery. I, I think he looked uh, more consistent and smooth and repeatable in the way he was uh, throwing the ball with his release and his delivery. And I think that that uh, reflected in his statistical production. It's hard to argue with, you know, 380 yards and three touchdowns. And I think his completion percentage is pretty good. So um, it, it's interesting because uh, – you hear Deion Sanders' son, and you see that they have several prospects and stuff, but uh, I, I think people from the outside looking in assume, oh, well, this is like big-time Texas high school football stuff. And honestly, from within the state, uh, Texas is one of the few where the private schools don't compete with the publics, and the publics really rule the roost. Like the big boys are the public schools. Um, for example, like if you put Trinity Christian up against Landon Jackson's Pleasant Grove team, uh, and Pleasant Grove plays at the 4A level, uh, which obviously there's 5A and 6A are the bigger schools, Pleasant Grove is, is going to be the favorite going into that game, um, uh, despite you know the high profile of a Trinity Christian. Uh, having said all that, I think uh, Sanders, regardless of the competition that he faced week in, week out last year, and some of it is good, there, there is some pretty high-end uh, talent uh, in some of the, the more high-profile private schools in Texas. But uh, the production he's shown, regardless of who he's playing, and what he showed in that first game uh, you know, against Knoxville Catholic, I think suggests that he has a, a pretty bright future ahead of him at uh, FAU. Yeah, Shadur, I was going to say, committed to Florida Atlantic right up the road for me. I went to school there. Um, yeah, I, I was impressed by him. And I think a lot of people also assume when you think, when you hear Shadur Sanders, Dion's kid, he's some elusive quarterback that is going to want to run first, but he's adamant that he's a passer. And 
he showed that he can throw the ball around. One of his targets, though, that I know um, a lot of people were asking about was Robert Williams, a three-star wide receiver at Trinity Christian. Uh, he, I, I think he had, what, a few long touchdowns, uh, receptions in that game. He ended up committing to Louisiana, the, the Ragin' Cajuns, and Billy Napier uh, a few days ago. I think that's a pretty good get for a Sun Belt school. Yeah, it's great. And I think uh, I think the Cajuns have landed a couple of those in the last week or so. Um, yeah, Robert Williams, uh, long and lean, good height, big catch radius. Um, the functional athleticism is obvious when you see his tape and, you know, when you you saw him flash in that season opener. Uh, I really, really like uh, what he brings to the table. And like you said, the, the Cajuns getting him, that's, you know, they've had a, they've gotten a couple of pretty good receivers uh, lately, uh, you know, with Billy Napier and that staff at the helm. And this just continues that trend. Uh, I think that they're really putting together some, some impressive skill position classes uh, on top of each other. Anyone else from the opening weekend or soft opening weekend is which what we should probably call it that caught your eye or or you need to you want to kind of stamp your approval on this early and say you, you like this kid maybe before some of the colleges do? Well, you know, I'll mention one kid real quick. Another Pleasant Grove kid, the teammate of Landon Jackson's is Nick Martin, uh, who's a five eleven ish, six foot ish, hundred ninety, hundred ninety five pound athlete. Plays both ways. He is a he is an FBS caliber running back. He's an FBS caliber linebacker. He does have some injury uh, injuries. He was injured last year. He had a knee injury last year, but he does have some offers. I think Texas Tech uh, is probably the the biggest contender right now. The schools that have offered uh, Oklahoma State and Cal, uh, I have heard, have been are, are very close to offering. But I think he fits the profile. He dominated in the opener. Uh, to be clear on both sides. And I think he fits the profile of this, uh, you know, off off ball linebacker that we look for now who is, right. you know, he's, he's, he's not the hulking 6'3", 255 pound, three, four inside linebacker of 20 years ago, but the, you know, he'll be a 210, 215 pound in space player going to college uh, who, who has a bunch of snaps at running back, which I know, uh, you know, our, our colleague Charles Power has pointed out as a big uh, sticking point with projecting uh, linebackers uh, to the NFL draft. So I think Nick Martin is a guy who could really uh, get more attention this fall and to stay along the same lines very quickly uh, for my alma mater, Carthage, another 4A power in Texas. Uh, they have a 2022 linebacker who is also an off-ball guy named Kip Lewis, who's in the 6'1", 6'2", 190, 195 range, who is super long. He's a guy who missed the state championship playoff run last year uh, after a great regular season with a knee injury. But he's back and better than ever. And the head coach there, Scott Surratt, who has coached numerous uh, players during his uh, career, which includes nine state, uh, eight state championships across two programs, he coached Ryan Mallett, Keontae Ingram. Uh, there's a long list of guys. Uh, he believes Kip Lewis is a, a power five caliber guy um, who's going to be a 215, 220-pounder in two years going to college. Uh, no offers yet for this kid, but he was very, very good uh, flying all over the field in, in their season opening win. 
let's kind of go to what I think a lot of listeners' favorite segment. Blair has kind of uh, morphed this into something, but every anytime an analyst comes on here, they have to explain their most recent crystal ball pick or kind of shed light on one of the most recent crystal ball picks they've made. And I'm going to start with you for one, uh, a wide receiver inside the top 24-7, Katron Jackson. Uh, you currently have your, your crystal ball on Arkansas. I, I think it was on Texas. You know, I'm not really all that familiar with this recruitment, so what, what do we kind of need to know here, and what's the pulse of this situation? Well, this one has, has kind of meandered over the course of the past few months you know in, in May I late May I, I had a TCU pick uh, and I think TCU and Arkansas were the top contenders then and then Texas really surged over the summer and by I think the first week of August I had changed my pick to Texas um, and here recently you know, I, I'll be honest I don't like changing my pick that much <laughs> uh, but this one has kind of been all over the place um, but now, like you said, the 24-7 sports crystal ball uh, is all Arkansas. I, I don't think it's over. Uh, I think Texas, you know, I think it's Arkansas and Texas. Um, I, I like my Arkansas pick based on what I've been hearing, but uh, it is uh, it is a very much a two-team race right now, I think. Even if he were to commit um, in the near future, you know, this is one that he's a high-profile four-star receiver. You know, I think he's a around the 150 spot nationally on the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, 6'2", 190-pound guy with a, a very impressive track and field profile uh, who I think is is not close to his ceiling from a, a top-end speed standpoint as he's still growing into his frame. Um, so with a guy like that, even if he commits, I still think there's going to be uh, another con- contender or two or three trying to work on him until you know until the the ink dries if Arkansas uh, Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks were to pull Katron out of the Lone Star State I mean this that would have to be a a monster kind of get for them and really in Pittman's first full recruiting cycle no yeah it would be massive uh, I know he's you know he's one of their uh, very top priorities uh, on their board, and he, you know, I, I've I've been a big uh, proponent of his game for some time. His first offer came in the spring of his eighth grade year when Cliff Kingsbury was still at Tech, and Texas Tech offered him. Um, his first two years of high school at Lancaster, which is south of Dallas, uh, which produces guys every year. Uh, most notably in recent years, Deshaun Hall, Omar Manning, uh, C.T. Thomas, Cavantre Bradford. There's a long list of guys. So his sophomore year at Lancaster, uh, you know, he caught eight balls for 217 yards. And, you know, pe- people were wondering, you know, why was his production not better? It's like, well, he's got, you know, six other FBS guys on his offense. So uh, he moved to Royce City, which is another Dallas area school prior to his junior year. Uh, and had a big had big numbers last fall, and had really backed up the potential that we had seen in, in camp and practice environments. And uh, you know, again, I think that his ceiling is pretty high given his frame, his overall athletic profile, and uh, you know, I think Arkansas, uh, having prioritized him as much as they have, they certainly see that as well. 
Arkansas currently sitting number 29 in the 24-7 sports uh, composite team rankings. That's good enough for eighth in the SEC, but if they were able to add a player like Katron, that would definitely kind of shoot them up in the rankings. Well, Gabe, we appreciate you stopping by. Uh, any big games on deck this weekend in Texas? Well, the one that really uh, comes to, to front of mind is – once again, Pleasant Grove uh, playing another 4A power Argyle, which is here in the DFW Metroplex. Uh, we're going to see Landon Jackson and Nick Martin and that Pleasant Grove defense uh, against an offensive line that features three uh, P5 offered uh, prospects, most notably Jack Tucker, a tackle who was committed to Texas Tech. Uh, a tight end OT combo prospect named Jasper Lott, whose father is the head strength and conditioning coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, and a 2022 player named Sheridan Wilson, whose older brother Preston Wilson plays at Oklahoma State. So uh, I think, uh, you know, I think we're going to get some chances to see Landon Jackson matched up on the edge with, you know, with Jack Tucker and Jasper Lott and company, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, Gabe, I appreciate it big time, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Gabe Brooks, the 24-7 Sports Midlands analyst, bringing you the latest on Landon Jackson, uh, some Arkansas recruiting, and others. That will do it for this episode of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. you imaginary friends are real this is just so exciting now get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined showtime ryan reynolds john krasinski kaylee fleming fiona shaw phoebe waller bridge lewis gossett jr matt damon emily blunt george clooney maya rudolph bradley cooper sebastian maniscalco john stewart sam rockwell aquafina keegan michael key and steve carell i need to throw up or i need a snack it's one of the two gross if with pg parental guidance suggested written and directed by john krasinski